The Coram Deo Church Community is a missional church rooted in historic, biblical Christianity and committed to cultural engagement. We hope the message you're about to hear spurs you to deeper reflection on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thanks for listening. Our scripture reading this morning is from James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. The word of God for the people of God. Well, good morning, church. My name is Dusty White. I serve here as one of the pastors. And if you're new to us, we're in the book of James. And today we pick it up in James chapter 2. Uh, for the last seven or so years, I've been serving our city as an Omaha police chaplain. And uh, when my wife and I started praying about this and considering it, uh, we eventually knew that we should step into this as an opportunity to just put down roots in our city and to have, hopefully over time, some relational connections in the city. And we knew for the most part, though, this was not going to be glamorous work. Uh, usually the chaplain phone only rings when we need to show up in the worst of times to rough situations and assist officers with really unfortunate circumstances. And over the years, this has been a, a, also a role that has allowed my wife and I to build some relationships, like I mentioned, in the city with officers and bring support to their personal lives from time to time, also a few marriages along the way. And it's been a fun opportunity for us. And every now and then, there's good situations for the chaplain to step into as well. Over the years, 
I've been asked to bring a prayer of invocation at certain events. And uh, this past year, I was asked to do the invocation for the Police Officer Officer of the Year Award. Now, invocations are pretty normal to me. Praying in public, not a big deal. Praying into a microphone at a podium, pretty normal stuff. You know, I do that stuff pretty much on a weekly basis. What I don't do on a weekly basis is strap on my OPD chaplain uniform and have lunch with a bunch of distinguished city officials. And it's always funny for me at these events. I feel super out of place because they typically sit the OPD chaplain right in the middle of the room with the mayor, with the chief of police, and with other distinguished guests. And we share decent chicken lunches together. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'm way out of place in those environments. I try to show up early and uh, get to my table and figure out. And I just act like I've, you know, I do this all the time. You know, that's, that's what I do. As the event begins, there's full color guard, bagpipes play, and then Rob McCartney from Channel 7 gets up to give me this fancy introduction. He almost gets the name of Cormdale Church right. Uh, over the years, he's dialed it in. He has gotten much better at it. And the event goes on. I pray, the mayor gets up, says some words, the chief gets up, he says some words, and then the moments come to give out awards and recognize a few officers. And I've done this a few times over the years, and like I mentioned, I just feel out of place. But the position of chaplain is favored in these moments. There are so many people in the room, hundreds of people in the room, most of those people would love to be at that table. But for some reason, because of the position on those particular days, I receive one of the favored seats at the favored table. And just in case you're wondering, the chief, pretty normal dude, the mayor, they're normal people. They talk about really normal things when you're just having lunch. I try to talk about potholes. I talk about... <laughs> I try to, I'm like, this is my shot. So I try to talk about potholes. I talk about bike lanes. I talk about streetcars. I just, I got one lunch to just get all this in, you know? <laughs> now, I'm kidding. My point is this. As an OPD chaplain, because of the position, I sometimes have a favored seat at the favored table. How about for you? When was the last time that you were on the receiving end of favoritism? Or when was the last time that you showed favoritism to somebody else? When was the last time that you were slighted or pushed aside because somebody else was favored and you were overlooked or pushed over? Either way, whatever comes to mind for you, James has something to say to us today about favoritism. And we're going to get at it by, at, by answering these three questions. Pretty simple approach this morning. First of all, what is favoritism? What is wrong with favoritism? And lastly, what is the solution to favoritism? So what is it? What is favoritism? We all know it when we feel it. We all know it when we see it. Favoritism is giving unfair preferential treatment to someone at the expense of another. That's what it is. It's this preferential treatment that moves towards somebody at the expense of another. 
How does James define it for us here in chapter 2? Why does James put it here for them then and for us now? It's in page 950 in the black Bible underneath your seat. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, there's a Bible underneath your chair. Page 950 in that particular Bible. We pick up the story in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. My brothers, show no partiality, fancy word for favoritism, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? James says, hey, look, if two strangers were to walk into this Sunday gathering right now, visiting probably, because it says that they're looking for a place to sit, they come in and you tend to gravitate towards the person who appears to have more money than the other person, then you're playing favorites. So we all know it when we see it. We all know it when we feel that gravitation. That's what it is, right? It's this gravitation towards someone else over another. And at the very onset of chapter two, our passage for today, James says, hey, show no partiality, show no favorites as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because... God loves the poor just as much as he loves the rich. And he doesn't care about your earthly status. He wants you to reflect kingdom status. And kingdom status does not play favorites. Which brings us to the second question. What is wrong with favoritism? Beyond the rags to riches or rags or riches example, which is really stark, really obvious, which James tends to do in his letter, he goes a layer deeper. Look at verses 5 and 6. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? The problem with playing favorites is that it honors someone at the expense of another. And when we play favorites, we're bringing dishonor to somebody. And Christianity, hear me, Christianity is always a way of honor. James, as is his custom, gets to the point by saying, Brothers, as you hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, the Lord of honor, verse 1, you cannot dishonor anyone. He's essentially saying to us this morning, what sets Christians apart from the world is that we reject favoritism. Listen to author N.T. Wright. He says it this way, commentating on this passage, the world is always assessing people, sizing them up, putting them down, establishing a pecking order, and God, who sees and loves all alike, wants the church to reflect the generous, universal love, and how it behaves. We often hear the phrase or use the phrase, God's upside-down kingdom, and when we use that phrase, we mean that God acts in a way opposite to how the world tends to act. This lesson in James rules out any question 
of pulling any sort of social rank in the church. This is part of what James means at the end of chapter 1, by not letting the world leave its dirty smudge on you. Look at chapter 1, the very last verse of chapter 1, verse 27 says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Visiting, seeing, adopting orphans, caring for widows, and keeping oneself unstained from the world, like James says, is the opposite of favoritism. Favoritism is a worldly thing, not a Christian thing. Dishonoring one image bearer of God over another image bearer is unchristian, is what James chapter 2 is telling us. Romans 12, verse 10, says this. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And our friend Ray Ortland. He says, this, he says this about that particular passage. If there's any place for Christian competition or trying to outpace one another, it should be in showing honor. We can't love one another with brotherly affection if they are favorites. We can't outdo one another with honor if we're only honoring some. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, we come to a story where James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Different James than the author of the book of James that we're reading here today. They try to strike while the iron is hot and ask Jesus if he can provide a seating chart when they get to heaven. And based on Mark's gospel, it's becoming more evident that Jesus was making predictions about his death. And while they don't fully understand all of what is going on, James and John decided that now is a favorable moment to see to it that they could get their share of honor once they're there. We pick up the story in Mark 10, verse 35. Flip to the left from James over to Mark 10, 35. This is where we pick up the story. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him, came up to Jesus, and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one on your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. Strong disciples right there. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them? But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for the many. The disciples approach Jesus with this amazing blank check request. Teacher, 
We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. That's like a kid saying to their mom or dad, hey, if I ask you a question right now, will you say yes? And never in the history of the world has a good loving parent said, sure, keep going. What would you like? Jesus doesn't do that either right here. Blind promises, blank checks aren't smart. So instead he says, go on. They believe that Jesus would be seated in glory and that each of the 12 would be seated on thrones around or near him or something like that. And essentially what they're asking, probably as they're walking from Jerusalem to Jericho, is favor from the Lord Jesus. Now, they're in the inner circle. They catch up to Jesus with some sort of sinful ambition. And they boldly ask for the most favorable places next to Jesus in glory, one at the right hand, one at the left hand. And in verse 41, when the other 10 disciples hear about it, they're upset at these two guys. And rightfully so, right? I mean, you can't, can't you just kind of like hear Peter in this situation? He's saying something like in his mind, this is, this, is, this is what I do, by the way, in my office. I'm trying to hear other disciples. I'm, I'm hearing Peter this week as I'm preparing to say stuff like, come on, James and John, I'm all in with Jesus. And if anyone should have the left or the right hand, it's probably me. Get out of the way. Jesus responds to these two guys and he says, you don't know what you're asking for. Now, Jesus is saying a lot here. But one of the things that he is saying is, I have no favorites. And even though you're my disciples, you cannot request that I start to make favorites now. And what's wrong with James and John in this moment is that they are dishonoring the other 10 disciples. So what's wrong with favoritism is that it dishonors and Christianity is always a way of honor. Having considered what favoritism is and what's wrong with favoritism, what is the solution? What do we do with it? What is the solution to favoritism? Well, James gives us the solution. He brings us back to the North Star of the Christian faith. James chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So James brings us back to the North Star of the Christian faith. He gets more detailed about the solution to favoritism in this text, which we'll examine closely in a second. But first, he just says, hey, remember the summary of the last few commandments. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. At our house, we, uh, when our kids were young, we had just two kids at the time. When our kids were young, we, deci we decided, JC and I decided to try to get on the same page uh, as decent parents try to do. And uh, we developed six family values for our household. They're really simple, really basic. They go like this. God comes first. He can change everything. We need him. Obey authority. Respect mom and dad. And love other people as much as you love yourself. Number six is kind of this junk drawer. I don't feel like we're quite getting it all. Let's make sure we get the scriptures into our family values as well. And we use this sixth value all the time. These are simple values at our house. They're pretty quick to recall, yet broad enough to help us in complex situations and especially in relationship. And we revisit these when we need to. That last value, 
Love other people as much as you love yourself. As a family, we're just constantly trying to remind ourselves of this royal law found in Scripture. We revisit this value when our household just needs it revisited, if you know what I mean. We revisit this value when we have drama with the neighbor kids. We bring it back to this value a lot. And James helps us dial in favoritism by bringing us back to this simple commandment. He underlines the fact that to show favoritism is to neglect the command to love. Favoritism and Christian virtue do not belong in the same building. One is stained from the world, the last verse of chapter 1, and one is godly. More specifically, there are two ways that James wants us to see in order to stay out of the ditch of favoritism. First, remember your honorable name. When we submit our lives to Christ, our identity shifts and we receive a new name. We see this all throughout the scriptures, people being converted and their names changing. And you are a Christian and that is an honorable name if you're in Christ here today. When someone comes to faith and later gets baptized, they get baptized into the Trinitarian name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And James plays that card. James 2, verse 7. Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name, he says, by which you were called? Like I said, the problem with favoritism is that it brings dishonor. And James says that that has no place with Christians because we've been renamed in Christ and called to an honorable name in Christ. Other translations say the most excellent name. So James wants us to remember our identity shift in Christ. Things have changed. Your name has changed. So remember your honorable name. My father-in-law, when my wife and brother-in-law were growing up uh, and they were getting ready to head out, especially like on a Friday or Saturday night, he would stop them and he would say, hey, remember your last name. And the first time I heard that, I was like, we have different last names, so I'm not tracking fully. But really what he was getting at In their small town, but yet a big family, what he was getting at was, hey, word travels fast, you have a reputation, and whatever you're about to go and do, honors or dishonors our name. And one time my in-laws were in town, my son was headed out, I think to a formal, uh, all dressed up for something, and he stopped him at the door, and I just remember this moment where he said, hey, remember your last name. And so what he's trying to say is, hey, don't be a dummy. Be smart because you have a certain name and that name brings honor or dishonor where you take it. Likewise, James says, remember your honorable name, the most excellent name. The honorable name of Christian knows no favorites. We belong to Jesus and that by grace shares his name. So we must remember our honorable name. Secondly, We need to remember what Christ has done. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Notice that James is talking and making this distinction between the rich and the poor. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. 
We know the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ because though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor. Because when we were wretched, when we were blind, when we were naked, he covers us with salvation, pulls us out of darkness, and gives us new garments. He comes right down to where we're at, taking our nature upon him, Hebrews 2, taking our sinful nature upon him, 1 Peter 2, taking our curse upon him that we deserve, he takes it upon him, Galatians 3. He enlightens and illuminates our blind minds with the light of the gospel, 2 Corinthians 4. So if we start to show favoritism, we've forgotten, friends, what Christ has done for us. When it comes to accepting others, we must ask, how did he accept us? When we appraise others based on their appearance, based on their socioeconomic status, we must ask how Christ appraises them as well. So if you are tempted to drift toward the more appealing person, remember all of the filth and sinfulness that you brought into your relationship with Christ. He took all of that upon himself. So the solution to favoritism is to recall the royal law, love your neighbor as yourself. And we can do that by remembering our honorable name in Christ, and we can do that by remembering what Christ has done for us personally and collectively as a church community. So, there I was at this particular event, sitting at the table that I was supposed to sit at, and at this particular event this year, as I'm sitting down, remember, I get there early, okay? Like, I don't know where I'm going. I always, you know, like, I act like I know where I'm going. You've done this before. But I get there early, so I'm like one of the first people there, right? And uh, as I'm sitting down, the, the room is filling up. The mayor's there. The chief is there. Other distinguished guests are there. And so now it feels like we're about to start. There's murmurings that the Nebraska Attorney General is going to be present. And I'm already sitting with city officials that I don't eat lunch with every day, right? And, uh, but I can just tell that they're like, you know, this isn't every day for them either, apparently. So the Nebraska Attorney General, by the way, his name is Doug Peterson, he's apparently going to be present. And we're waiting for him. When he arrives, people kind of straighten their tie a little bit, you know, and look presentable. Doug's a totally normal guy, by the way. He sits down. He greets the table, and shortly after greeting everybody at the table, he looks at me and he says, Pastor Dusty White, to which I said, yes. <laughs> I thought maybe, you know, he read the program. My name's on there. His name's on there. Maybe that's why. I don't know. He says, hey. He goes on to tell me that, he's, that his son is really good friends with one of our elders and how much he appreciates that man and the ministry of our church because of what he's seen manifested in that particular guy. So, the honorable name of Christ is being presented well. So you should celebrate that as a church. But after that exchange, I just turned to the cop next to me and I said, Doug's here. <laughs> no big deal. The favored seat at the favored table. Those people have high profile, important posts in our city and in our state. But listen, 
They are not any more favored in the kingdom of God. They are normal human beings with normal souls, and those souls are longing for the kingdom, and the kingdom of God has no favorites. Listen to Zach S1. Have you ever noticed the Jesus way of strategic networking in the Gospels? Jesus seems intent on noticing and orienting his schedule around the unnamed mountains in his range. He makes personal visits to the physically and spiritually ill that, are, that include a mother-in-law, a leper, a paralytic, and a tax collector. Then there was the man with a withered hand, the sickness of a Gentile servant, and a widow and her dead son. Jesus finally spends time with hundreds in a crowd, but within that crowd, it is not the well-known, the rich, or the connected that Jesus seeks out. The sick and the troubled remain his focus. Friends, nobody understands the gospel. Nobody fully grasps what Christ has done for us. Nobody stands at the base of the cross, the bloody, spit-on, mocked cross of Christ, probably recycled timber of Christ, and says, I deserve to be here. Nobody does that. There are no distinguished guests at the foot of the cross. Hungry or amply supplied, you're welcomed here. A checkered past or a sheltered story, Christ welcomes you. It is all level ground at the foot of the cross. Would you pray with me? Lord, we see and we feel the stark comments that James is making in James chapter 2. We see how black and white it is. And today, along with James, along with Jesus, we choose to reject favoritism as a church. We pray that you would make us a people that instead of sizing people up based on their appearance or their socioeconomic status, that you would make us a people that would move toward those who are unlike us because you moved towards us while we were still sinning. Though you were rich, for our sake, you became poor. And Lord, uh, while I've been considering and preaching mostly to those of us who are already Christians here this morning, I pray that you would move in my friends here who have yet to submit their lives to Christ, that they too would recognize today that they too can be rich because you became poor on their, for their sake. Make today the day for the well-off. Make it the day for the empty, the lonely, or the disheartened. May today be the day that you meet them at the level playing field, the level ground of the cross. And Lord, we also pray that you would just equip us to heed to your word of James 2 and to live as ambassadors of your kingdom as we head into yet another week. We pray these things as a needy, dependent people in your name. Amen.